This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. There is one whom I have wronged, and he looks at me angrily. This bothers me, no matter what I do. I offer my apologies, and always he ignores my pleas. But I ask myself, what the better man would do? He would forgive me, so I'll forgive me too. There have been so many times that I have felt so low. Rather die than look at me from someone else's view. And always there were those who would gladly tell me I'm no good. But I ask myself what the better man would do. He would love me so I life that I've been living So take my hand Tell me I'm forgiving So if you're walking down the street And you see a soul who's in defeat Don't you pass him by No matter what you do Brother, don't you understand That when you lend a helping hand The person that you really help is you, yeah Love your neighbor and he will love you too If you do the things If you do the things Better may would do. Welcome, everyone. That was Mr. Eric Schwartz, friend and family of the show and the Polymind with his song Better Man, which is on his CD entitled Better Man. And it's a side of Eric that um, most people don't know. If you know Eric's stuff, it's always very ribald. I've never, I don't think I've ever used that word in a sentence. Uh, But yes, Eric's very normally um, funny and irreverent and, um, you know, kind of even makes fun of the genre as he's singing it. And and is very funny and talks a lot about all sorts of things. But this is uh, this is his more serious side and his more gentle, vulnerable side, which I love. So uh, check that CD out, everyone. So welcome. It is uh, 
April, 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 oh, April 23rd. Wow. We've done it again, people. Really, it's fascinating how this happens every week. Calendar changes. Uh, Here in Los Angeles, we are experiencing a little bit of what we call the June gloom. Yes, confusing, I know, because it is April. But the June gloom starts in April. Um, We can also call it the May gray, uh, because it usually starts in May. But sometimes it starts in April, and I don't really have a word to rhyme with April that means cloudy. So if you people could work on that for me and um, Facebook me or tweet me about that, that would be great. <clears throat> um, so yeah, we've got the June gloom going here, which always sets me in a gloomy mood, but not, I, I don't resist this gloomy mood. This is like kind of, it's weird how it aligns perfectly with these six weeks that kind of move into my mother's anniversary of my mother's death on May 11th, um, on Mother's Day, um, which is not May 11th this year. And so I, I kind of just gets me in the mood for being gloomy around that. And that's been up lately. So here I am in the middle of spring talking about death. It's very confusing. But that's the way life is these days. Um, so I had a very fascinating morning. I don't normally share about my mornings on this show, but I just had one of those mornings that I have to share about. Started with a phone call from Rick Moranis. Yes, you heard that correctly. Rick Moranis called me because I'm getting some clearances for my solo show, shoot this DVD, and uh, want to use this uh, SCTV clip where Rick Moranis does an imitation of my father um, going on and on about the vegetable beets. And it's a very funny skit of my dad. He's just basically doing my dad in stand-up. And I use it in a very particular context in the show to kind of, it, it alarmed my dad when he saw this imitation because my dad realized that he was kind of stuck in a rut a little bit artistically and was feeling very stuck in a rut at that time. It was the late 70s, early 80s. Steve Martin was hitting big. SCTV, SNL, Monty Python had all kind of reshaped comedy in some ways. And and dad was no longer the new kid on the block. And uh, so the person doing the clearances had connected with the SCTV people and da 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 da. Anyway, next thing I know, Rick Moranis wants to call me to tell me the full context of this clip and how it came to be and the the reverence he has for my father and and all these things. It had we had no intention of making my dad feel bad in any way. It was like felt horrible about that, but I actually said, you know, it propelled his evolution of his comedy. So he he actually did him a favor in some ways. Uh, but it was so cool. So cool to talk to Rick Moranis. And here's the other clip too that he talked about where he imitated my dad, which you can find on YouTube as you can the beats one. But the other one you can find is death of a salesman. And they're all playing inappropriate actors or people who would be in a death of a salesman scene. And, um, like, like Eugene Levy's playing Ricardo Montalban, Montalban. And uh, it's very funny. And so Rick plays my dad, uh, who keeps going off on these existential kind of thoughts in the middle of this death of a salesman scene. <laughs> so it was really uh, so, so cool. I mean, I pinch myself when shit like this happens. I mean, hello. 
I'm a geek. I'm a fan, just like everybody else. I mean, just because my dad was George Carlin doesn't mean I'm not. My dad was a fan. I have to tell you, my dad was more starstruck than anyone I know. Uh, he he was always like a little kid around famous people. So I still get like that too. And uh, so it was cool. But it was very, and it was just so lovely to, I don't know, to be able to talk about my show in the context of where I want to use this clip and everything. And it was, it was, it was just, I felt like very fed. I felt like a, and I felt like a professional creative person because when Rick Moranis was like, hey, Kelly, is this Kelly? Yes, it's Kelly. this is Rick Moranis. I'm like, hi, Rick. <laughs> you know, hi, Rick. Like I was, you know, expecting that to happen. So that was the beginning of my morning. <clears throat> and then I was planning on doing some rehearsing around a story I'm doing tonight at Nerd Melt, uh, this risk storytelling podcast, which they'll be recording. So I'm assuming all of you fine people out there will be hearing it. Um, <clears throat> if you're not, uh, uh, don't know about it, it's it's kind of like the moth. It's like that kind of thing. But there's a theme tonight, which is whoops. Um and so I'm telling a story about how at 18, I tried to raise my self-esteem by fucking a pop star. And uh, so I was going to, and they kind of wanted off book. And I don't do a lot of off book stuff. I mean, I do my 90 minute solo show off book. And I kind of feel like after that, I don't have to do anything else off book. I'm mainly a writer that speaks my my written words. And so I'm not a off the cuff kind of a storyteller. I don't have the stand up y kind of background that some people have. Or have, you know, but you know, it'll be interesting to see tonight after doing all of this run at the Falcon, how much confidence I have on stage. Anyway, I I was going to rehearse it today, you know, get it off book. And uh, yeah, my husband called me, who I love and adore. We've been together. It'll be our 20 year wedding anniversary, by the way, in June. Uh, called me and said, ah, yeah, I'm at a shoot. He's a camera operator, DP. He's he's being a DP today. I'm at a shoot and I, um, I was... I wasn't going to use the computer to download the cards onto the computer because until I got home, but now we're doing more than I thought we were going to be doing. And can you bring me my computer? Well, of course I can, honey. Of course. 45 minutes away in Santa Ana. Ay, 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 ay. So even though I wanted to bludgeon my husband to death, the man I love more than anyone else on the planet, I um, got in my car and drove to fucking Santa Ana. And because I'm a Californian, I'll tell you, I took the 405 South and the 22 East. It was actually pretty easy. And <laughs> there wasn't a lot of traffic, but it still took me 45 minutes. Um, so I frantically called the producer of this wrist show and I'm like, I don't have time to rehearse and I'm going to have to read and I'm I'm a horrible person because of this, because I'm not being a professional. And they're all like, uh, chill out. It's okay. Don't feel guilty. It's not the end of the world. It's a fucking storytelling podcast. Yeah. These are my first world problems today. I was thinking about that earlier. You know, most podcasts come from this America, this first world here. And most of the things you hear about on podcasts are really very first worldish, very first. And I really was wanting, imagining, and maybe we'll write a. Well, it'd be sickening if I wrote it because I'm coming from a total privileged position. But wouldn't it be fun to hear a third world podcast? Like, what are they talking about in the third world? Are they talking about the same things that we're talking about here? Or are they talking about, you know, needing to get to safety? Um, thinking about those poor fucking immigrants on that boat this week. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. We had drone strikes today. John Stewart announced his date. He's leaving his show. You know, if if you can hold those two things in the same space in your mind, then then we're all 
definitely doomed. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's a weird world. It's an officially a weird world, but we know that. We know that. Uh, so what else is going on? I think that's really all I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the show here was the June gloom and that I'm performing and that I um, got to talk to Rick Moranis and got mad at my husband. And uh, I think that's it. I can't imagine anything else that's really going on. I mean, I can't, I can't talk about the world anymore. It's just, there's too much. And, and I don't, I just don't have the brand, the brand, the bandwidth this week to do that. But I'm happy to be back here at the podcast. I am. It's funny, last, you know, I've been resisting restarting, just like we all do. We all resist, right? We all resist the new thing or getting back to the old regime or whatever it is. And, uh, and then last week, we did the show. And I was like, oh, it's just nice to be home. And I got some nice feedback from some people. I still don't know how many people listen to this goddamn thing. I'm sure it's at least three. I'm thinking three, three. <laughs> I mean, for sure, I know it's three because I know one of them, which is Darren uh, in North Carolina at Crobama. Um, I know Paul Myers listens to me pretty regularly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got to be at least three. There's a couple other people I can think of on Twitter who comment a lot. So so the five of you out there who are listening to me, I, I so appreciate it. And, I, and I'm enjoying being back and playing a, around a little bit with this new format resisting booking too many people where I have to do too much research right now on my guests, even though I love those conversations. Um, I just I, I, it's I put a lot into them. And so it takes a lot of hours of my week to do all the research. <clears throat> so but I will be um, booking some guests soon for the podcast. I've got a lot of cool ideas for some people. And um We'll see how that goes. But I did have and so I'm so what I'm saying is that I've been kind of pulling on some easy guests these last few weeks because it's easy. I, you know, Rain Pryor was here last week. Rain and I could talk forever about anything. Um, and we talked about her new comedy album, Black and White. Go check it out. Uh, and this week it was easy because she and I talked about it three weeks ago that we needed to talk about this. Uh, I have Katie Goodman on the show. And the reason I have Katie Goodman is because about three weeks ago, uh, a video of hers uh, which is called Sorry Babe, You're a Feminist, went viral. It, it, someone put it up on the HuffPost comedy or she did or something. And suddenly, everyone in the world who has a comment about these types of videos was commenting and it was going around. I think it ended up on Upworthy, um, the NARAL, the North American Reproductive something or other, you know, the pro-choice thing, got 200,000 hits with this thing. Uh, so I'm, that's how I'm teeing it up. Basically, it's, it's been, it's been gone, it's gone viral. Look it up. I'm going to play it for you right now. And, uh, and then when we come back, uh, Katie and I will talk about the video and the word feminism and what the fuck is going on with all of that. So uh, here's Katie Goodman with Sorry Babe. You're a feminist. Read an interview with a young actress Said she wasn't a feminist This outspoken actress was on the A-list Sorry, but I just can't resist What on earth are you picturing? Castrating men while wearing sensible shoes? You must not know what feminism means Cause a feminist is... You, you're a feminist. Sorry, babe. 
the gist if you say you're not a feminist. Millennial women, we're truly happy for you. You feel empowered and that was the goal, it's true. So many of your rights are guaranteed today that you can't imagine things were ever any other way. I'm so glad you don't have to deal with this much crap, but to give the feminists who came before you a bad rap. I mean, do they even give you your free pap? So why don't you just shut your yap? Only about this though, say anything you want about anything else, all your opinions, and don't let anyone tell you can't, cause you're a feminist. Yeah, babe, you're a feminist. Just take a look at the checklist. You like voting, you like driving, you're a feminist. you vote and be more than wives saying you're not a feminist gives them hives although they're dead and buried so it's hard to see we try to explain it's because you don't hate men how do we have to go through that again and again it's not about who's better here's my proof lots of men are feminists too right where are my feminist guys at want to argue that we're post-feminism, well, tell that to American conservatism, or post anything opinionated on the web without a death threat from some misogynist dickhead. Yeah, Jesus, you're a feminist. Yeah, babe, you're a feminist. All your ideas would have been dismissed before there was a world of feminists. A feminist is described as a person who believes in social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Why is this so confusing? With 20 women senators out of 100 and only 79 congresswomen out of 435, that's like 18%. No, wait, shit, I can't do math, and you know why? Because fucking Barbie told me it's hard. Barbies, so it's because my mom didn't want to make me weird. But this isn't just about me and you, it's about girls who get stoned for just going to school. Which human is twice as likely to live in poverty? Yeah, I'm seeing boobies. Yeah, but no, you're not a feminist. No, not you, you're not a feminist. You know who else isn't? Boko Haram. Rush Limbaugh, the Taliban. <laughs> you might want to call yourself a feminist. <laughs> and to that woman who got interviewed, just count up all the money your male co-star is getting compared to you. And while you're at it, count up all the women on the film crew, because there's only 2%, I said 2% of directors are female. And that's just a little bit skewed And now count up all the women in film Who are in the nude Whose coochies we viewed And it's like 31% versus 9% of males Where things protrude And I swear I'm not being a prude It's I'd be happy to see more men in the nude Like Jude Law <laughs> I'm just talking about equality here, dude And to that woman that got interviewed 
So that was Waking from the American Dream's friend Katie Goodman singing, Sorry, Babe, You're a Feminist. And uh, boy, lucky us, we have Katie on the line right now. <laughs> with such How convenient. Ma- it's so magical, this technology thing, <laughs> to talk about um, uh, wh- why, why, why the song? What happened? What's going on? And why are we so uncomfortable with all of this? And and uh, it's 2015. What the fuck is going on? So right, right. <laughs> no, I was definitely. I mean, I have to say, Kelly, I was definitely surprised at the um, enormity of the reaction. Um, we do a lot of really offensive to the right wing stuff. So I'm used to getting horrible trolly hater stuff, but, um, and I usually just write it off cause we just don't agree. You know, it's just like clear. Um, and I don't even really care much of the time what a, a lot of people have to say, cause we're just so on different right. paths. But right. the thing that has been besides the sort of misogynistic comments, which of course we got, um, the thing that's been a little, Disturbing is like a weird word, more of just like an incredible bummer, has been the young under 30 women um, who've been writing in, um, you know, and sort of, so the so the basic comments that we're getting are, yes, 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 great, 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 or, hey, cunt, or whatever, <laughs> you know, horrible. <laughs> and then, um, but then the ones that are kind of bothering me is, um, you know, the, the ones that say, isn't the, uh, in fact, here's one, isn't the point of feminism to let women define themselves however they want? Um, and then it says, this is hilarious, it seems a little shifty to tell other women, I just love that there's a Jewy kind of word in here, <laughs> uh, to tell other women, no, you aren't what you say you are, so you are this because the definition says so. Or, you know, because Katie Goodman says so. Right. And then this lovely woman wrote right under it, and I couldn't have said it better. How can you miss the point that much a woman defining herself how she wants is feminism, whether she understands the definition of the word <laughs> or not? And yeah. so it just seems like, okay, are we done? Like, after you see those two comments side by side, I'm like, you know, dusting my hands off and I'm done with the conversation because that's the, the deal, right? They're right, all summed right. up. But then it just gets reiterated over and over and over and over. And I I think a couple things are, are going on with certain groups. Um, not the sort of pissed off men. There's also a lot of guys who are writing and saying, feminism is women wanting power at the expense of men, which is so unbelievably it's, hilarious it, in so many ways. Right, because it's just not that. It It's right. just amazing how bad that definition is. Right. And then they do it under the guise of saying I'm an equalist or a humanist, which of course none of these are mutually exclusive. Some right. are humanists, equalists, so ridiculous. But the thing is, it's just such bullshit because obviously I have never really met a single feminist who wants the power at the expense of men. I mean, it's sort of like we're so far behind still. It's not even really up for discussion. Um, 
we're not, and, you know, and even we're the, not a threat. <laughs> right. And even the people who like believe that like um, matriarchy would be better than patriarchy and if only women you know, ruled the world kind of a thing. I mean, it's such a, it's such a, um, it's a, just a thought exercise in some way, because it's so, right. like you said, it's so far from the reality. And that basically what I think even those people are saying is that there's all these other values that a matriarchy have in it, that, you know, if that ruled the world, then there, these other values would be honored. And ultimately, right. that's all we're really talking about is let's having all of these values honored at the same time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And in the irony, it's such an ironic situation, too, to have these women, young women, it's really only young women, saying, um, I don't want to use the word feminist because of what it connotes, denotes to me. And, but who made the word feminist have the quote unquote feminazi and derogatory terms? The the men, men. men, women hating men. Right. Yeah. So, right. um, so, and it's like um, one person was describing it, which I thought was very apt, as um, the way Rush Limbaugh has redefined uh, mm-hmm. um, liberal. Mm-hmm. It, it's there, it's exactly the same thing. And so, what they don't even know is that they're running away from something that's really just been taken from them. And the only way to kind of you know fight it is to take it back, uh, which is such an overused expression, but um, that's the deal. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it so it's really interesting. So it is this generational thing that's going on, and and I and I totally I get that that it is interesting that they're letting <clears throat> the opposition to the movement definition of the word now become their definition. So they want to they want to create some distance from it. And they're saying, yeah. I have the same values of you. I just don't want to use that word. And I'm wondering, though, if this is just a generational reaction too to wanting to find their own way into it and their own definition of it. And which is fine. That's Great. I right. Mean, I have no problem with that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I. But and I think they're they're also what's sort of unfair is like blaming a movement um, on a few sort of extremists who. Right. You know, I'm not saying there aren't unappealing <laughs> public <laughs> feminists over the years. I mean, very right. much like if you were very into MLK and you know and Malcolm X was sort of not your thing, then you're like, oh, the civil rights movement sucked, you know? So right. I, I don't want to associate with it. And it's like, really? It's just a baby with a bathwater kind of thing. Um, so it, uh, anyway, but I just find it really sad. I think there's one other interesting thing that's going on with some, I won't say all of the young women, um, because I find this to be much more of an issue with the heterosexual young female population. Lesbians are all about the word feminist. I've met zero who won't use the word. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there's some fear, I'm completely making this up, but I also think I'm right, uh, that there's some fear of being seen as unattractive, as Mm. a quote-unquote castrating bitch, um, and that they are young and either single or whatever and are, are just scared of what their generation of guys yeah see that word that, as. that's great that's yeah i think that could be absolutely an unconscious factor in all of that and you know and, and here's here's the thing about 
the feminine or women or females is that there is this huge um, array of how feminist energy shows up in the world. And no doubt there is a version of the feminine that shows up in the world as castrating bitch. That's mm-hmm. that's the ne- you know it's a negative it's it's a negative it's it's a power over it's 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 a a type of feminine energy that comes out usually from women who feel backed in a corner who are inside of a situation where there are who the, the men are in power and they're mm-hmm. they're trying to f- they're trying to fight fight use their own power in some way and they can only use it in a way that's. Um, you know, how power is used in that system, in the patriarchy. You know, right. it's, it's all about power over people and it's about uh, winning. It's about winning. Yeah. And and I know that the urge in me to be a castrating bitch, I mean, I, 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 I try to own every voice inside my head and, you know, and owning the energy of castrating bitch Stepping into that energy is a really powerful, it a, feels very powerful because you are cutting mm-hmm. off like the you know the you know the the balls of the man in front of you you know and as women we have access to the mushy parts of men inside of them we can kind of look inside of them when we know where they're where they're they're you know they're vulnerable and yeah, and yeah. so and so there is this energy of castrating bitch and i'm wondering if if we as women talk about all the ways in which the feminine shows up and castrating bitch is just one of them, but also, you know, um, mothering energy, um, sexual energy, um, you know, you know, there's like, you know, there's like all these archetypes we could talk about really is what, what I'm talking about. And, and so, you know, and instead of letting the culture and especially the, the more patriarchal area of the culture, define it for us and to make this thing called castrating bitch, which is so like, oh my God, I never want to be called that because no, you don't want to be called that. But if we as feminists were able to really say, hey, you know, that's a strategy that comes out sometimes unconsciously, it's unhealthy, it's pathological, but it has happened and it isn't, it, it is a way a woman shows up sometimes. And so let's discuss the way sometimes men show up that are really horrific and... <laughs> And yeah. and equal to the castrating bitch, but on the male side, um, I think we could diffuse some of that power around this negative valence that is uh, kind of glommed on to the feminist movement. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, I spend most of my time working with my husband, um, so I and neither of us are the boss of each other in particular, but. And I've not worked with a lot of male bosses or in like kind of a corporate setting or anything mm-hmm. like that. I'm definitely, I come in and I sometimes work like I'll do an improv workshop or whatever with a group of um, all men. And it's really interesting, but um, uh, I've never had to like fight for my power because I've worked for myself for my entire life. So, but I see it and I, I of course, we all know what you're describing and because I love to talk about archetypes and culture with uh, mass media, um, I watched Veep last night <laughs> Yes, for the first time in a while, and um, I hadn't seen it since she was president. And they're doing this incredible job. I'm just trying to, uh, I'm not making light of this, but like in terms of an archetype that is out in mm-hmm. front of so many eyes right now, um, the writers and she and the directors are doing this incredible job of making her neither a castrating bitch nor... Um, nor a doormat. Yes, right. 
because it's a huge i mean it it would it's very tempting in physical comedy to make her incompetent because that's really funny, only it would not be if she were the president because it would be like saying, <laughs> right. this is our image of the only woman president ever, you know, yes. So, um, yes. or whatever. There's been two others. And the other thing that was interesting in the one I watched last night is she's in a room where these guys keep talking about um, which she's left the vice presidency office and the guys are all making sex jokes like the whole time as if like they've been holding it in for years. But now in the new Oval Office, they were talking about expressions that men use. And she's completely undaunted by it. One, I can't remember what the expression was like to cock her thumb or something. It was like, uh-huh. uh, it was like with the military, like you, you say you're going to cut off a cock and then it's just a thumb. And so they're not as worried about it in terms of the budget. Uh-huh. And it was so fascinated watching her like, go, okay, cock thumb. Like she was like trying to get it. Um, but in not a stupid female way and in not, and I'm offended by those words you boys are using right. and in not a castrating bitch way. And I was like, wow, they just got that balance really, really right. Yeah. And, that's and but as you're you were just talking just now, I was like, God, that's it's hard to see that and do that, and how do you you know make your own way yeah. as a as a feminist in these jobs? No one's ever had, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And, and he- there was another thing. Um, I heard. Oh God, uh, what was this yesterday? Somebody was talking. Oh, God, I should probably not. I should remember what it is before I admit what I'm watching. But um, <laughs> they were saying something about how the language these how how oh it was an ad for a movie that's coming out about how on earth are women um, supposed to express themselves in a language that was basically created by men, mm. which was such a metaphor to me more than just literal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I and you know. So, but here we are, we have this word feminist, one of the very few words we probably like not created, but like taken on and now it's taken away from us, you know, um, and we're taking it away from us too, which is kind of unbelievably frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I think it is frustrating for women, uh, our age and older because we watch the fight, you know, it's like the, it's like the abortion conversation too. Um, you know, we watched the fight of our mothers and aunts and in our age too. I mean, I was in my twenties when I went to all the rallies and I mean, Roe v. Roe v. Wade was in the seventies when I was still a teenager, but, um, you know, we watched the fight just like the older African-American yeah. community watched the civil rights fight and and how it there's, you know, we're seeing that it's nothing's really changed. And right. and, and it's like we just want to say to them, look, you know, this is a long, hard fight. It's not over because, th- you know, e- yes, a lot has happened. There's been an incredible amount of progress, which is fantastic. But the bottom yeah. line is, is that women still aren't. Um, you know, seen as equal in the workplace, certainly not in the media. Yes, we're having conversations about it now. It's great. And of course, you know, there's this whole thing about language and defining yourself, you know, and there's this, you know, I mean, the other frustrating thing about being on the left is that, you know, not only are you trying to have a big conversation about, you know, the issues that we feel are important, progressive issues, and the values that we live by, but then we have to dance so delicately with our language on the left because we right. don't want to of- offend anyone's sensibilities because, 
Um, yeah. We've all learned that everyone, there's a, there's a very diverse sensibility in the world and that everyone fears offending people these days. Right, 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 right. And, and so... And I actually was a little like, I don't want to be offending these young feminists. They don't even know they're feminists, but feminists. I was, I mean, you know, it's hard not, I mean, the last thing I want to do is divide women all up. Right, That's of course. My fucking goal. Right. There's this young, I had this one, I was just, I have this little pile of printed out interesting um, comments. And one of them is from this, she, she's got to be like 23 in this picture, um, Haley Palmer. She says, to say you're not a feminist, be- uh, um, sorry, this is an example of under 30, uh, she gets it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's hope. Mm-hmm. To say you're not a feminist because you're privileged already is basically spitting in the face of Eddie, every Middle Eastern woman who is being mistreated in their country, every boy being told they shouldn't cry. Um, and a disgrace to all the men and women who fought for your rights and were imprisoned and died for you. Um, and then she wrote, sorry for spamming I Katie. I couldn't, <laughs> I was giving me headaches, but she was like, that to me is a really big thing that we don't really talk about here. You know, this is a virtual yes. problem sort of ish, even yes. though these are huge, huge problems. And, but the, for if if like the I'm gonna screw up which countries it is, but let's say somewhere in Iran, somewhere in Central America, um, if there's other f- movements of women and political parties that want to use the word feminist, like for that reason alone, can we just use <laughs> the word? You know, I mean, they're dealing with like life burning. Like, yes, you know, and yes. so I mean, if they want to use the word, I don't. I feel like yeah. they get to decide. And yeah. yes, I'm going to for them. Yeah, yeah. The parsing of what we're doing to language is such a privileged position to be in. And, uh, yeah. and you know, and here's, I mean, here's what I really hear you fighting for, which is, here's this word, here is the definition of it. Like, here's the dictionary definition of it. Right. Not, <laughs> not all of the shit that's been glommed on by every aspect of the culture and history, but here's just the basic definition of it. And can we, and, and they're all like, yes, we agree with that definition that women should be equal to men. You're like, okay, great. We've decided on that. Okay. So, you know, is it is it gonna kill you to like to 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 own it in a bigger way? I mean, this is yeah. you know, and this is almost like I would love to have like a a linguist, etymologist, cultural linguist on the show because yeah. yeah, because there is something about you know what what is it about language and how alive it is that we can take right. the, the the definition, the dictionary definition. It's like the word retard, you know the de- yeah. the def the dictionary definition of retard is slower. You know, uh, s- slower to, to it just means slowed down in some way, yeah. and actually was used in a way when they when they brought the word into the mental health sciences, it was it was used and brought in in order to take away the stigma because people were calling these people idiots and freaks oh, and yeah. morons, and yeah. yes, and they were used the word retard to actually as a medical term to describe that they're just their in their intellect, just the intellect wave, yeah. nothing. Yeah. Else on their, on their, you know, proficiency of being so a human. Like an, that's an example of like wanting to just take a whole new word so that we don't have to deal with the old, or in a way, kind yes. of like in a positive thing. And I do think some people are motivated by that in their comments about this. They're like, can't we just 
call it humanist or something else so we don't have all the baggage associated with it. And right. I mean, sure, that it's an argument. It's not the worst argument. But I feel like you're also letting go of all the history when you do that. And, yes. you know, from, yeah. from Elizabeth Cady, you know, stand till now, yes. everybody in between. And I, I feel like, again, it's letting, it's like queer, you know, mm-hmm. using that again. I mm-hmm. feel like it's much more powerful to use it again. I mean, yep. we're going to use like the N word again, or some R, but so that, but that's, everything's got a different story to it. But, yeah, yeah. You know, even more than I, I, a, um, what did you say, etymologist? Uh-huh. Even more than that, like, I'm sort of interested in the, um, the images that it's conjuring up and the projections. Mm-hmm. So, like, I actually talked to a friend who was a therapist about this because I thought everyone is. Re- this is not an intellectual conversation we're having. This is an emotional conversation. Yes, everyone's responding so viscerally, and I was like, "What's going on? What is this response?" And she said, "You know, because she's a Freudian psychologist, mm-hmm. and she said everything's about anxiety <laughs> and fear in the end." And in the end, and so that was why I was like, what is the fear of being associated with yes. with something? And, also, and she actually thought there was also a piece of this that was about, you know, fear of strength, fear of, you know, saying power. I'm strong. And right, power, yeah. right, so right, really owning your power. I mean, yep. I mean, you know, it's, it's not obviously... I would be bored if we were having a conversation just about the meaning of a word, but we're having a much bigger conversation mm-hmm. through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also shows by the really shitty comments we get too um, that call me a cunt and a slut and a bitch and all these things. <laughs> while say- I mean, it's so hilarious. It's a little bit like my other song, Probably Gay, about right. homophobia, right. where you know the song was like, if you're homophobic, you're probably gay. And then people would write in, well, when I watch gay porn, I'm not blah, blah, blah. And then we're like, wait, you're watching gay porn? You know, so there's a little bit of people are getting sort of tripped up in their own thing here. Like, you're calling me a cunt and <laughs> um, hello. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, For telling women what to think. Yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And so, so yeah, so you've, you struck a chord in our cultural conversation going on right now. And it's one we're doing a lot with a lot of words and how we're defining ourselves. And yet it's also this really important time in our country when a woman is running for president. And we know she's been wanting yeah. to, you know, for two years, we've been kind of leading up to knowing or four years or whatever since, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, eight years ago when she ran. Uh, so, you know, it's like we're it's like we're dealing with with this again. And um, and now we're really going to be having a real big conversation about it because uh, she's uh, she's really serious and she's she's the only one on, on the left so far. So, yeah, it's it'll. Yeah. And and I, I yeah, it's really interesting. The whole Veep thing. I hadn't yeah. thought about that, about the whole just how we're having the conversation in the media with, you know, there's also those other shows about, you know, like the, uh, the Secretary of Defense with Tia Leone, Madam Secretary. Yes, I need to see that. Yeah. 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 And, and how these other women who are walking in the halls of power and how mm-hmm. how they're being written about and stuff. So it's 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 an exciting time for actually gender studies and, and media gender studies oh, definitely, um, yeah. and, and the conversation yeah. we're having around this. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah. So, so there it's you really go. It's funny. Our, our next video is like completely as low as you can get. <laughs> and we just got all these new fans based on this like intellectual <laughs> video. 
So our next one's about boobs. Uh, but see, that's that's what I love about you, Katie. Because uh. I mean, really, because that's the. I mean, I think that's the the playground I want to play in. I want to be reverent and you know, and have these high well, conversations, <laughs> and then you know, get down and totally and enjoy a good fart joke, you know, or talk about my boobs or whatever it is. I mean. You, ha- you have to let it all be part of the conversation. You got to play all the keys on the piano. That's what uh, one of my teachers once said I to like me. And it, and it wasn't my piano teacher. It was my, it was another teacher. He was like, you, you got to learn, you got to play all the keys on your, on your keyboard, you know? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. Um, and people want, people want you to, you know, to stay in only one octave and, uh, uh, life isn't interesting yeah. when it's only one octave. <laughs> no. <laughs> and either is music. And I do like having seen sort of what discussion has popped up from it. I mean, it certainly is, it's been very, very interesting. And um, and it's been it's been nice to sort of, I actually, one of my favorite comments was from like a 50-year-old woman who wrote and said, you know what, I totally have been afraid of using that word and now I'm going to use it. You convinced me. And I was like, oh. I want to, I'm going to frame that one, put it on my desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is, it's, 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 a, it is literally about taking our power back. Um, yeah. I was on a show where we talked about abortion and this abortion activist was saying that, you know, we need to keep, we need to start using the word abortion and not pro-choice. Yeah. 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 We That's need to take that word back too, because mm. it's a medical procedure and it's a right. medical procedure that a woman chooses to have for whatever circumstance, whatever is her personal reason. And sometimes it's a medical reason. Sometimes it's a psychological, emotional, sometimes an economic one, but for whatever reason, and, yeah. and it, and it's, you know, and, and women are afraid to use that word. And so there is, you know, very absolutely, absolutely, there's power in language and how we choose to talk about things or not talk about things. And uh, so, so yeah, so it's, but you never know what you're going to stir up, huh, Ms. Ms. Goodman? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure the boobs one is going to cause all kinds of controversy. That'll be good. (laughs) That'll be good. So if someone wants to find uh, this video or the the song and a place to to comment uh, to keep this conversation going, where should they go to find that and so they can comment? It's all over the place, but I think... The most contentious place is YouTube. Yes. And it's you just, you know, search Katie Goodman and it, my channel will come up. Um, but um, there's been a bunch of conversations on the Huffington Post uh, under Katie Goodman. Mm-hmm. and But then, you know, it's on the NARAL Facebook page with 200,000 views. Wow. Um, Damn, girl. Comments there. I know. I didn't even know that they embedded it. So that's like completely separate from our YouTube numbers. So. There, and there's an interesting conversation there that's much more uh, intelligent, I would say, than YouTube. <laughs> yeah, YouTube. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Twitter's been ridiculous. I mean, honestly, there's been lovely people, but then there's been people saying feminists believe in, like, incest and, oh, yeah. and racism. And I'm just like, yeah. I can't even understand no. what this sentence, 140 characters, is yeah, saying. Yeah, I, I just, I ignore those people and block them. I just, I, yeah, I, I don't, I won't, them. I can't. I can't encounter. First of all, you can't have an argument in 140 characters. No, no. And it was so sort of like, I, I mean, I was just so like, wait, did I read this? I don't even yeah. understand what you're saying. Yeah. So um, there's been, you know, there's some crap there. And then it's interesting when it gets put up in one place and then you get like 500 retweets from one specific 
group of the population. Yep. It's sort of fascinating that you didn't even know it existed. Yep. yep. <laughs> anyway, sorry. To answer your question, yeah, com or <laughs> Great. or YouTube. YouTube, HuffPo, NARAL, wherever. It's, or yeah, just, yeah. Just uh, Google, yeah. uh, sorry, babe, you're a feminist, Katie Goodman, yeah. and something will come up and join the conversation. <laughs> and and uh, next month you can Google Katie Goodman and boobs. And, and with boobs. Boobs will be showing up too. Because, you know, boobs are feminists too. They just want their equal <laughs> rights are. to exist in the world. <laughs> I've never thought I'd have those two category tags go together. <laughs> but, um, you know. My Boop. parents are so proud. Uh, <laughs> yes, totally. Well, thanks, Katie, for coming on and, yeah. and talking. And we so always, fun, always love having you here and uh, yeah. and go off in the world with your boobs, <laughs> with thanks, the really. word feminist <laughs> typed across them. All right. <laughs> All right. Good. Talk to Bye. you later. Bye. Bye. So the fabulous Miss Katie Goodman, um, after, uh, and that was a pre-recorded call, by the way, just so you guys know, I recorded uh, Katie yesterday. She's on the road today, and she takes very seriously her not driving and talking or texting. I'm I'm proud of her for that. I've been taking it seriously lately, too, because uh, <laughs> the last thing you want to fucking do is kill somebody because you're reading a text message. <laughs> I really get it now. Like, no, I really am not paying attention to while I'm driving if I'm doing that. So, <clears throat> but it's funny, while I was f- talking to Katie, I was realizing something about myself around this very same dynamic that she and I were talking about. So, so here we are talking about the word feminist and how people say they're say they're not a feminist and yet they completely agree with the dictionary definition of a feminist. And it really got me to thinking about how uh, I have a real problem with the word atheist and that it's the exact same situation. I completely agree with the dictionary definition of an atheist. I do not believe in a transpersonal being that certainly resembles humans, that version of it, for sure. Uh, Sky God, Sky Father God guy. Don't believe in that. Um, And and don't believe in the Christian God or the Jewish God or any of those other kind of gods. I I, I guess I don't believe in a God. uh, But I but I the definition of God is very wide for me. So so anyways, I was laughing to myself because here I am. you know, pretty much there with Katie about, hey, if if you believe, if you agree with the definition, then agree with the word. And so, I, and I've been wrestling with all of this the last, ooh, hmm, hmm, well, okay, wrestling with it definitely the last seven years since my dad died, but particularly wrestling with it the last two months, because as I mentioned last week, I've been hired to give the keynote speech at the American Humanist Association uh, conference in Denver. <clears throat> and uh, so it's kind of like I've I've had to really find my way through this finally, because I, I have been, I've been, I've been annoyed with the word atheist the last seven years. So here's the deal. Uh, growing up, there was no religion in my house. I was baptized in a Catholic church because my dad just wanted to appease his mother, who was an, a good Irish Catholic woman, and Corpus Christi, my dad's church that he grew up in in the 
the elementary school he went to there, that's where I got baptized. You know, it was more like a family tradition thing. It's like, you know, being a secular Jew, but having a Passover dinner. <laughs> I, I That was it. I was baptized. That was the that was the only one time I was in the church for any kind of official business. My grandmother did drag me to church once <clears throat> and told me, kept pointing to this table up on the altar and saying that God lived in that. And I just pictured this old man with a white beard and hair crouched underneath the table and couldn't imagine why God, who's supposed to be all-powerful, all-knowing and all of that, would be crouching under a table, why he would put himself in that position. Didn't this the three-year-old mind? Don't you got to love three-year-olds? So, but I didn't, we didn't have religion in my household. There was never any talk of any of that stuff. So the word atheist is alien to me in my life because I guess, I mean, we were very spiritual. We had like Ram Dass books and stuff. And my both my parents were big seekers. I mean, when my dad dropped acid, you know, he knew he was at one with everything in the universe. So if that's not a spiritual experience, I don't know what the fuck is. He had a, extremely a lot of transcendent experiences, as my mother did too, doing peyote and all sorts of things. So they had these all these mind-expanding things. So they just had these subjective experiences of life of being at one with the universe and all, knowing that all of their atoms in their body are the same of all the atoms and everything else and and all of that and and that's kind of how I was raised and and I was very raised very ethical standards moral standards in my household I mean my dad always stood up for the poor and the oppressed and the underdog and um always made sure that you know we we, we were kind to people and so uh, so I, there was just never any conversation about any of this. And it was the 70s, the 60s and the 70s. They're just, there was a re relaxation around all of this stuff. I mean, none of my friends were particularly religious. I grew up on the west side of LA. So I guess Hollywood was the big religion <laughs> and still is celebrity worship. Uh, so I just never thought about it. And then in high school, I got curious about stuff and started reading books um like the dance of the wooly masters and um that other book uh god i can't remember the name of it right now it's the it's physics and quantum physics and spirituality and of course all the all the quantum all the real quantum physicists completely debunk all of that stuff um Fritov Capra, I think his name is. Uh, but I found it fascinating, and I still do. I find all that stuff fascinating, as my dad did. I've got a ton of his uh, quantum physics books and stuff. He read all that stuff, too. He turned me on to all that stuff. Anyway, the point being is that there just was never conversation about it. So seven years ago when my dad died, <clears throat> there was suddenly a lot of atheists around. And because it was a social media time, there were a lot of atheists um, talking about my dad's atheism. And uh, I'd never once heard my dad call himself an atheist. I, I guess he's had conversations with certain people and used that word or maybe been in the media, but all the conversations I'd ever had in the last 10 years of his life and her, or heard him in public talk about it was, he, you know, was always, he always claimed he was an agnostic because I think he had the same discomfort with atheism as, as he did with anything else because, um, you know, it's the group thing. It's the um, it's the armband, T-shirts, logo, have a group thing, have a party, have a meeting. If they're if they're gathering for a meeting somewhere, my dad wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> so he never self-identified as any of that stuff to me personally. 
and or to his brother, Patrick. They had a lot of deep conversations about it. And in fact, it was Patrick who came up with the term the big electron that my dad ended up using. And really, that's what I always related to was the big electron. Like, yeah, it's like we're all these electrons and we're all in different shapes. And and yet there's some sort of beautiful, intelligent dance and organization going on. And, and you know, I know this this confounds many scientists. Um, I, I read books about it all the time. I'm fascinated by, you know, how we're here and how we're at the, you know, the exact right temperature and the exact same size and just all this kind of stuff in the universe needed to be this certain speed and this stuff for life. And here we are. And <clears throat> But anyway, like I was saying, this whole atheist word came up seven years ago, and I was just, I resisted it immediately because I don't do groups at all. I've never done groups, I guess. I don't know if I get that from my dad or not, but, you know, I've always been an outsider. I've always felt different from people. And I mean, I love bonding with people. I'm not saying I'm not social and I don't get along, but uh, I don't do groups and, you know, this was really my own kind of evolution as a spiritual person. And see, the fact that I even hesitate using the word spiritual, I'm kind of, I want to be done with that because that's, that's a word I use. It's It has to do with the part of me that does connect to a, a transcendent state. Um, I know that the humanists and the atheists don't want to have anything to do with transcendent states, and that's fine. They don't have to. I've had some really fantastic, unique experiences in my life. Do I believe that a God is in that space when I'm there? No, wouldn't wouldn't call it that at all. But I just, I have this, is it in my brain? Is my brain helping me make the, have that experience? For sure, I have a brain. Is the my brain the source of it? Could be, don't know. I have no idea. That's the big question. Does the brain shape consciousness or does consciousness shape the brain? Don't know. They're working that one out. So the skeptics and the atheists, though, say until they prove it one way or the other, we're going with the brain because we know the brain. Great. Wonderful. Fantastic. Yay for you. I, hmm, not sure about it all. So uh, anyway, um, so my own personal evolution with my spirituality you know, it's funny, my mom died in 97. And yeah, I had dabbled in the New Age movement. And I trust me, the New Age movement is um, silly. <laughs> I will give them that I did everything, though. I did crystals, and I did rolfing, and um, had many, many sessions with trance channelers and mediums. And a friend, a good friend of mine in Canada is, is a trance channel medium. And do I understand it all? No. Has he told me things that no one else has ever told me and, and helped me in ways in my life? Yes. Did my mother and father both have many sessions with him? Yes. Did they get something out of it? Yes. So I don't know. Who knows? But anyway, was really into the New Age movement in the 80s. And um and then in the 90s, kind of stepped away from it because saw like, you know, my reasonable rational mind was like, okay, yeah, a lot of that is complete fucking bullshit. But I've always been a seeker. But really, what attracted me was Zen Buddhism. And when I went on my first retreat after my mother died, because when my mother died, you know, when things like your parents die suddenly, um, you realize, oh, you know what, uh, I just better live my life the way I want to live it because I could be hit by a bus tomorrow. So that was part of the realization for me. And the other realization too is that when my mother died, I had a profound experience uh, where she came to me. Did she really come to me? I don't know. <laughs> Did I have an experience of her presence and her words and 
absolutely feeling like she was in the same room with me? Yes. Can I explain it? No. Cannot. Did it change my life? Yes. Um, does it matter to me where it came from? No, does not matter to me. Uh, but it did change my life. That's what mattered to me. The meaning I gave to it is what was important to me. So had a profound awakening with her um, and really found a center inside of me that I had never known existed. Uh, I was very much at peace, torn apart by my mother's death, grieving, cried for two years straight, but at the same time had accessed a new sense of center and power and strength in me that I had never had before. Uh, So in some ways, that's what I call a spiritual awakening. Maybe a psychologist would call it something else. Maybe an atheist would call it something else. I don't know. That's the word I use for it. Anyway, had a big awakening, decided I want to go study Buddhism because I want to do death well. And the thing the Buddhists do, they do death very well, those Buddhists. They've got that Tibetan book of living and dying, and they've got, you know, they've got Zen masters writing haikus on their deathbed. I mean, how much better could you do death than writing a haiku about it as it's happening? Sounds pretty amazing to me. Uh, I wanted to no longer fear death so much. And this is what the Zen Buddhists do. So I ended up going to a retreat about four months after my mom died. And uh, like I said, I don't do groups. I do not do groups at all. And uh, so I was very, very wary of this Buddhist retreat. It was up at UCSB. And when I arrived, I, you know, of course, you have all these projections and these ideas. And it was with Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese Zen master. And I'd heard a tape of his. I'd been playing a tape of his for years that was like, you are a mountain. You are solid. You are a flower. You are fresh. You are the lake. You are still. You are the air. You are everything. Uh, you know, it helped me a lot. So I'm like, I want to go be in a room with this guy while he talks about being a mountain or whatever else he's going to talk about. So I arrive at UCSB and I don't know, I have this projection, this idea, this fantasy about this Buddhist retreat. And, you know, we're in dorms at UCSB and there's 1,200 of us. There's 1,200 people on this retreat. (laughs) I was like, all of my group cult yuck radar just went, it was like, you know, full DEFCON 3 or whatever it is, alarms going off, um, very uh, weird, like people bowing and things and and all those flowy kind of outfits that people wear, you know, because if you wear flowy outfits, you're closer to God or something like that, I guess. There's some sort of weird correlation in that. Um, was And of course, didn't know the rules. There's a lot of rules around Zen Buddhism. You know, there's a mindfulness walking and there's silence time and there's this and there's that. And I was very paranoid about breaking all the rules and looking like, looking like Lucille Ball at a retreat. That's basically what I was worried about. Um, but I had an amazing time and realized that um, I could I could spot the the kind of the moonies and stayed away from them. But for the most part, people were just there like me to to connect with um, a practice, a, a Buddhist practice that really there's no god, not in this shape and form of Buddhism. There are some gods in some cultures, um, and there are some interesting teachings. You know, the Dalai Lama and the whole reincarnation thing. Yeah, don't understand it, don't get it, not my thing. But, um, you know, that's their culture, whatever. But, you know, basically, there's no God. I don't, you don't need a God to be a Buddhist or, or to practice mindfulness. So that was helpful for me. Um, <clears throat> but I was really worried about 
you know, kind of coming out of the closet in my life about this when I decided to go on this retreat, even to tell my dad. And my dad was like, oh, that's so cool. You're going on a retreat. He was excited. He wished he could have gone. Uh, but yeah, so, and I came out of that with, a, you know, with a whole other thing, like a practice and a, a place to meditate. And and I ended up joining a group to practice with once a week called a Sangha. There's groovy Sanskrit words in Buddhism that you get to learn. And... Um, and what the great thing about this group that I sat with was that it, everyone in it ident- self-identified as a person who doesn't do groups. So we were we were all kind of like the misfit toys, you know, of um, uh, Frosty the Snowman, whatever that is. Oh no, Rudolph the <laughs> Rudolph the Rendas Reindeer was Santa. The misfit toys. We were the misfit Buddhists. Um, so that felt good. <clears throat> but um, you know, there's no God in that. So I still once still didn't deal with the whole God thing or needing to. To describe God, and but still, I use the use the word God in sentences, and and that like there's a concept of it, you know. I don't know. So, um, and then I went and studied Jungian depth psychology up at Pacifica, and that was a whole other thing too, because Jung is like he's very spiritual guy and he had he his father was a minister he had you should read his memoir it's it's great he had a dream in his and uh, he talks about it in his memoir where he took a shit on his father's church <laughs> you know you don't need grad school dream interpretation to get what that dream means uh so he was always wrestling with um the the high, the higher self and so that's what ended up happening for Jung is he ended up talking about this archetype of the self capital S which is the sense of self that includes the unconscious mind which is bigger than the conscious ego so it's a thing that's bigger than this personality that we walk around with and like I said it includes the unconscious mind because the conscious ego can't that's why it's called the unconscious it's not conscious to the ego um, and he he talks about synchronicity and um, a numinous experiences where you have this feeling of sometimes encountering quote unquote what you might define as God or the sacred, um, and it can be a frightening experience or it can be a, a sense of being at one with things, and you can have it in dreams or in waking day and waking life. And <clears throat> but he never. You know, he and he talks a lot about the metaphor of Christianity and Christ, and 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 the the book of um, uh, Job in the Bible, and um, it's very Joseph Campbell. I mean, that was the other person too. Joseph Campbell taught me all about mythology and archetypes, and it's all you know, it's all the same flood myth. People, we, we've all had a flood in every single one of our religions. So yeah, so this whole God thing just never. I don't know. I just, I, I, I just, I just, I guess I just defined it myself. My parents never defined it for me. A church never defined it for me. The culture was always defining it. And let me tell you, one thing growing up, one thing I did resist and was taught by my father was to resist people who had very, very definite definitions about God and wanted to shove those definitions about God down everyone else's throat. Those people and to this day, still thoroughly piss me off. I mean, really, really just enrage me completely. I, there was just on Sunday morning, CBS Sunday morning, there was a whole piece they did on atheism. And they did the piece because a high school teacher was an English teacher. And he had liked something on Facebook, an atheist group on Facebook, because he was atheist. And he grew up 
like Baptist. So he'd come to Jesus. He'd had to come to Jesus moment and became an atheist, but never talked about it in school at all. And yet one of his high school students saw that he had liked it and mentioned it in class. And before he knew it, he was transferred out of that class and then fired a year later. Okay. And he lives in Mississippi. So we get that. That kind of shit fucking makes me nuts. So seven years later, seven years ago, my dad dies. All this atheist stuff comes up and I'm confused by it all. I'm confused by the word. I'm confused that people are asking me if I'm an atheist and am I a believer or not a believer? And I'm like, well, I use the word God in some sentences, but I don't really believe in a God. And that whole religion is bullshit thing that my dad did is brilliant. And yet I've had a very spiritual life and I connect to this bigger thing, that this thing that's bigger than me, the higher self or the transcendent. And so I don't know, does that, does that mean I believe in God or not believe in God? Or what does this mean? I don't know who I am. I don't know who, what should I be? All these atheists really like my dad and I want people to like me. And should I be an atheist or not? But I don't know how to, have, I don't know. And it got very, very confusing for me and scary. And, uh, you know, so I just decided to just be myself and not mention the word a lot and not be quite sure and just let people know, hey, my, I don't really remember my dad ever self-identifying, but you can go ahead, you can call him whatever you want. But, you know, he didn't really want to be called anything. <laughs> and the fact that people who are atheists worship him, ah, it's kind of ironic. You do get the irony of that people, right? You're worshiping something. Uh, so, and then... um and then about two and a half years ago, uh, Paul Provenza, you all know Paul Provenza, good friend of mine, director of my solo show. He's an atheist, a devout atheist, if there is one. Is that a thing, a devout atheist? Uh, and he loves and adores me. And he loves my spiritual journey. He loves the way I talk about things. And I thought, okay, all right, well, I can talk about these things with him. And he's directing my solo show. And he says, you got to bring your solo show to Tam. And I'm like, to Tam? What's a Tam? And he's like, the amazing meeting. It's a meeting of skeptics and atheists. And I'm like, oh, they're not going to like my show. <laughs> I have moments of transcendence in it. And I have my mother speaks to me after she's dead. They're going to think I'm fucking crazy. Um, so with great trepidation, uh, I took my show there. And it was 500 people. And it was probably one of the best audiences I'd ever had in my life and got one of the biggest standing ovations. And a grown male men atheists weeped in my arms afterwards. So once again, confused. I was completely confused by all of this. It's so muddy. It's so confusing. So um, so here I am now, and uh, I'm going to this humanist meeting, and I've had to figure out what does all this stuff mean? And so I was kind of in a panic. First of all, I was like, oh, they want me to like come and be my dad. And like do the religion is bullshit thing or something like, you know, they're like, no, we don't want that. Uh, we love your story about finding your voice and finding meaning and purpose in the universe. And and here's the deal is like, we're humanists and humanists, you know, are different. I mean, all humanists are atheists, but not necessarily all atheists are humanists. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Even within the atheist world, there's confusion. <laughs> There's a gigantic umbrella. And so uh, I started looking at their website and reading their definitions of things. And uh, and I and I like that. I, I like their definitions. I'm definitely a humanist. They're non-theistic. I'm for sure non-theistic. I don't, I don't, I'm not into theisms. 
Um, or yeah, are not a lot of isms. I don't even self-identify as a Buddhist. I'm a person who practices mindfulness. Um, and but they they say the thing we take really seriously is no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. I say amen to that. Yeah, basically we're, we're and their whole thing is like we're humans on a planet. We need to figure this shit out ourselves. We can't like wait for the afterlife and we can't wait for some god to sweep down and fix things. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Like I can get behind this kind of stuff. So uh, I'm self-identifying as a humanist. I guess that's my new thing. And uh, although I do enjoy my transcendent states of mind, um, and but I don't, I no longer believe that that's gonna like being enlightened is gonna save my life, or like I don't use enlightenment as my god. I used to be a real seeker of enlightenment and thinking once I get enlightened, then everything will be okay. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. You can have moments of enlightened states of being, states of mind, uh, but you still are neurotic the next day when you wake up. It's <laughs> It helps the neurosis a little bit to be able to go into transcendent states regularly, to take off the ego-based strategic mind for 20 minutes a day. It does help a lot. But um, no, I'm not some sort of person who's going to be um, giving up my TV and my TiVo and my chocolate and, uh, and my occasional beer for uh, for life. So... So yeah, so this this is what this is what's going on for me right with all of this stuff. I, I'm going May 10th is my keynote speech at the American Humanist Organizations conference in Denver. I'm very excited. I'm going to be talking about my own path and journey towards my authentic self, finding meaning and purpose in my life by telling my story, by being able to talk about my life out loud. And how, in some ways, it parallels those people in the audience who maybe grew up in a household where they too could not feel or speak their truth, and that they had to find a way to individuate from their family of origin or their family of origin story to find their own sense of meaning and purpose and their own storyline about who they are as he, as a human. You know, God didn't create them, but evolution created us. And and so I'm really excited about having my story hopefully inspire other people who've had to find their own story or who are still trying to put together their own story of what it means to be human what it means to find meaning for each one of us because each one of us have to choose this meaning and and the one thing i get now about it that i didn't even get a few years ago around all of this is that the people who are really who really claim the word atheist and wear it proudly and and want to shout it from the rooftops and want to uh you know sell it to the world I get now that a lot of those people were completely oppressed by their families of religion and that this for them is freedom and it's empowerment and it's meaning and purpose. And I'm so thrilled for them that they are finding a way to define themselves and to walk away from something that was being defined for them. And because that's what pisses me off about religion also, you know, when people want to fucking define shit for me around this. So 
I get it now. It's like I finally get that some people really need to wear that name, that word proudly on their chest and go to conferences and talk about it. And um, and I'm a big First Amendment person, so I'm really – and a big Bill of Rights person. So I'm really into the separation of church and state. So I really stand behind their political activism around separating church and state. I think it's essential, essential, essential for not only democracy, but for fucking sanity, <laughs> basically. Um, and yet, and so now I really get it. So I don't have this charge now as of this week around this word atheist um, because I don't have to wear it proudly on my on my t-shirt because I've never worn the word God either. So I've always just defined it for myself. And, and then wanting to define it with a certain word it's not necessary for me. It's not important. If it's important and if it empowers you and gives you strength and direction, then do it. Um, but if you use it to belittle other people or to try to make other people feel wrong about something, and I'm talking about all people, even the most Christian of Christians of our fellow man. Um, I don't know if that's the approach that I would take with any of this. Um, I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, no, if you're using a religion to, uh, you know, maim young girls, you know, their genitals or kill in the name of something, um, which is, that's a whole nother complicated matter. But anyway, I mean, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific what is done under the idea of people's religious beliefs. Um, but I I get that I don't have to, just because I am technically an atheist, for sure a humanist, um, I am a spiritual being. I am. I don't know. I don't know if there is a spirit thing. Don't know. Don't know if I even need to believe in that to call me spiritual. But I don't know what else to fucking call this part of my life that deals with this transcendent mind part of me and my need for meaning and purpose. Um, you know, all of that. We it can all exist. It's all okay, and and we can all define ourselves, and and we don't have to worry about how others define us. I think that's what I really got out of this. Finally, is that I was really worried about needing to define myself in a way so that other people could know where I stand. And uh, ultimately, it's really nobody else's business. <laughs> it's a very personal thing. And if you want, if you believe in Jesus and want to shout that from the mountains, go shout it. If you are an atheist and don't believe in anything except the wonder and awe of science, then go shout that from the mountain too. Um, just don't knock on my door on a Sunday morning, <laughs> either one of you people, asking for money and giving me a fucking pamphlet. <laughs> because I don't like that. I even have a little sign that says, leave me alone. So that's my take on all of this. I'm very excited to go to Denver in a few weeks. Like the minute I, I came to terms with all of this and had my come to Jesus moment with atheism, I was able to start writing my story and figuring out what I'm going to be speaking about. I'm very excited to hang out there 
and meet really smart people who are geeky into science and physics like I am, and uh, and yet who are also on a big search for the meaning and purpose of life. So uh, please, if you're in the Denver, Colorado area, if you're anywhere in that area and want to come hang, come to the American Humanist Organization conference. I mean, really, go check out their site. It's uh, American Humanist Association. It's AmericanHumanist.org. And their motto is good without a God, which is just so cute. That's such that's such t-shirt material. And um and oh, speaking of t-shirts, we're creating one for my dad that says, you know, thou shalt keep thine religion to thyself. So we're excited about that too. That's coming up, folks. Carlin fans, George Carlin fans. Um, yeah, and go check out the uh the humanist site. They've got a lots of good reading on here. They've got a bunch of essays about things, um, about like the meaning of life. And I read this one essay, I was like, fuck man, I could have fucking written that. That's great. So come check that out. Come check me out there. I'll be speaking on Sunday, May 10th. Yes, Mother's Day. Yes, it'll be an emotional day for me, as we all know. Uh, but I will be there and very excited to participate. And and to give my first keynote speech. Really, this is my first one. I will I will be breaking my cherry that day. So come watch me pop my cherry. And uh, tonight, if you're listening to this and you're in LA, come see me tell my story about raising my self-esteem by fucking a pop star. And, um, and if you have Sirius XM and you like my interviews with people, you'll be very happy because on Sunday, May 3rd, my interview with Norman Lear will be playing. And uh, it's probably one of the best hour and a halves of my life. Talking about another spiritual man, very spiritual man, not a God believer though. Uh, So that's that. And uh, so all of you guys have a great week. Uh, If you want to keep this discussion going, please find me on Facebook at Kelly Carlin Official. That's my public site. That's my like page. Come talk to me there about um, your struggle with God or atheism or spirituality or your family or believing or not believing or whatever your own thing is in your own relationship to discovering how you define all of this for yourself. Uh, You know, all I know is that I don't know much. And every day, my mind gets blown by the universe and gets changed again. So I like being in the I don't know business. So I don't have any answers for you, but I will encourage you to dig around for your own answers and enjoy the journey of looking for them. That's the fun part. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. We can continue the conversation there, Kelly underscore Carlin. And um, you can talk to me in 140 characters. We can try to have a very... uh, (laughs) poor conversation in 140 characters about concepts and things that are worthy of 140,000 words. But really, whenever I try to argue spiritual stuff, or, or, or politics or anything, but especially the, the 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 subtlety of one's own personal spiritual life on Twitter, it's a fucking train wreck. It just is. I just say to people, I, I just won't do it here. I'm sorry. So come over, find me on Facebook. We'll do it. Of course, you can always, um, you know, check out my website too, kellycarlin.com and all my other stuff going on there. And Logan is uh, here again today and spinning the music, a little Eric Schwartz we're doing. And uh, Logan's got a CD drop party, release party 
they're dropping, they're releasing. Is it eggs? I don't know what these things are. If you're in the LA area and want to check out Logan's new CD, he's having a CD release party at the Fanatic Salon on Friday, May 22nd at 8 p.m. Uh, come on down and check out Logan and his newest work. It's very, very cool. It's a great album. It's Logan. You know, you guys know how great he is. Um, so I want to thank everyone at Smodcast for helping, obviously, put this together. And thank Logan for showing up today, pushing some buttons, clipping some wings and some things. And uh, thank you all, you fabulous listeners, for always being here and um, letting me ponder these big questions of life. Uh waking up from whatever sleep we're all under. So uh, have a great, great week. Don't know what the show will be next week. Logan will be out of town. I'm probably going to have to book a guest, I guess. I don't know. And uh, But I will be here doing something. And uh, have a beautiful week. And um, enjoy this Eric Schwartz song. Maybe someday I'll decide to stop thinking Get a job and achieve the approval of my neighbors Buy myself a Beamer and a condo at Evale Send my boys off to college If I can keep them out of jail And maybe then I'll winter down in Florida Make myself a melanoma And take lots of long walks Eat prunes, wear software, play drive slow And take herbal tea with my early bird special I pray that my memory lasts as long as me And sit around the sun I can't bear a coats of vessels So fine, go and toe the line Let's see if you don't mind where it's taking you But don't ask me what I'm doing Don't ask me why I'm doing It'll do what I want to do Get fat and run like a rat If that's where it's at, I don't know for who But don't ask me what I'm doing Don't ask me why I'm doing It'll do what I want to do Someday I should learn about God Buy the book, rent the flick of hell Anything to tell me why The first thing they did was put an ismal to my shiznit Sniffy, sniffy, mazel top Hey, hey, really makes me want to pray I'll build me an ashram up in Waltham A decorated warehouse and meditate on toe jam Thousand Krishna Buddha Anything at all to help ease The woulda, coulda, shoulda blues Hard my expression, but it's kinda hard not to laugh at anybody wearing those shoes. <laughs> Tune in, there ain't no way to sin. You're a little bag of skin on a ball of blue. So don't ask me what I'm doing, don't ask me why I'm doing It'll do what I wanna do. God's alive, you die when you die, so you might as well fly high before you through. Don't ask me what I'm doing, don't ask me why I'm doing it, I'll do what I wanna do.
decide to find a girl with a really long fuse and a forgiving sense of humor. She wouldn't have to clean unless she couldn't stand the normal mess that piles up around me. In which we could be, find ourselves a preacher and rent ourselves a hall. Time and not go home and put the preen up on the wall. Get down to the task of putting up with each other till the war becomes worse than the prospect of divorce. If this interests anyone, see me when the song is done. Or with this caveat, I tend to swear a lot. It's so brave, the altar to the grave. I'll get you all a medal if you see it through. But don't ask me what I'm doing, don't ask me why I'm doing it. I'll do what I want to do. And make it known, I'd rather walk alone than kick it from an overdose of nothing new. Just a wandering Jew cruising in a truth canoe. It don't matter who, go on a be shampoo, leaping, looping through a hoop and hoping for a peer review. It's all a ballyhoo to sell a bowling shoe. I better be a shampoo, a mandarin tattoo. And while they're spooning you, the yabba dabba doo, a teaching you taboos and sticking you in zapping shoes. There ain't no nothing new, it's all a deja vu. There ain't no sand to do, so can't you cut the tip of two? It ain't the stomach flu. It's all the fake fun do to let the love shine through and put away the super glue. But don't ask me what, but don't ask me why, but don't ask me what, don't ask me why, don't ask me what, don't ask me why to do what I wanna do. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.